I'm glad to be here this morning with you. Don't y'all just love that last song? That's one of my favorite hymns. Um, I'm glad to be teaching this morning. I don't get to teach in here much. Most of my teaching is upstairs with the students, and a lot of the times I have to drop some elbows, if you know what I'm saying. But uh, as long as nobody pulls out fidget spinners, I think we'll be okay. (laughs) I was glad when Landon asked me to, to teach again this summer. And I was glad whenever I found out that we were doing a series on parables because I knew when he asked me exactly which one I wanted to do. And I chose the parable of the unforgiving servant, not because I thought it would be easy to teach and not because I think I'm masterful at forgiveness. I chose it because in my life I have struggled with forgiveness from time to time. And I have found how freeing it can be to forgive once we really understand the forgiveness that we receive from God. I have come face to face with forgiveness and the forgiveness that Christ so graciously extends to us. And because of that, I am compelled to share that forgiveness with others. And that's one reason I do what I do in student ministry because I'm compelled to share forgiveness with students in the hopes that they will understand God's forgiveness in a way that it then compels them to share forgiveness with someone else. I think that understanding this parable is crucial to salvation in Christ and the mission that he has put before us. So we're about to put the big idea up on the screen and it's going to look different than what's in your handout because I decided to change it after we had printed them and put them in the bulletins. So just go ahead and mark out what's in your your outline and write down this phrase. If we are unwilling to forgive, we are not obedient to Christ. And this may sound a little harsh, but... Hopefully upon reading this this passage, you'll see that Jesus says almost the exact same thing. So before we go any further, let's, let's look at this passage together. Let's read it and let's take it in. If you've got your Bible, it's in Matthew 18, towards the end of the chapter, starting in verse 21. It says this, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. As many as seven times, Jesus Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some translations say seven times 70. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him. He began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. 
So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should, you, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray. God, you are good. You are holy and you are righteous. We believe that you are gracious and you are merciful and you are forgiving. And we thank you for that, Father. We thank you for your son. We thank you that his life, death, burial, and resurrection work together to give us freedom from debt. God, as we look at this passage this morning, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds Help us to see your truth. May it be revealed to us this morning. May we understand it. And most of all, may it compel us to have the same grace and forgiveness that you have so greatly extended to us. God bless this time. Help us to honor you in it. May you be glorified and may you be worshiped. And may we leave here looking more like you than when we got here. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, as we look at this passage today, there are four things that I want you to see. The first thing I want you to see in this passage is the extravagant grace of the king. This first scene in this parable is essentially a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of God forgiving our sin, the sin that we deserve punishment for. Now, this first point really has two subpoints. And the first subpoint is this we cannot miss the grace of the king before he even forgives the debt, before he pardons the debt. The king has grace on his servant by allowing him to be sold into slavery. In that way, he would recoup just a mere fraction of the debt. But a more harsher king, a more stern monarch, could have very easily uh, put this servant into prison or even had him executed. And so we see grace right off the bat before the servant even asks for forgiveness, for mercy. And a lot of the commentaries that I read, the authors want to focus on the debt first and the astronomical amount of the debt that the servant somehow managed to rack up. Some commentators speculate that the the translated number would be somewhere in the millions. Some even think it might be in the billions. The point is, this number is so big that an Egyptian pharaoh would have had a hard time coming up with 10,000 talents. It's a lot of money. Much less a servant. But whatever the true number is, I don't really think that the number itself is the point that Jesus was trying to make. I think the point he was making was not only is this debt unpayable, It is absolutely, impossibly unattainable. 
But if this truly is a picture of salvation in Christ, the number cannot be the first place that we start. In order to understand the gospel, we always have to start with God. And in this case of the parable, we see the grace of the king on display before the servant ever asks for mercy from the king's justice and wrath. And I think too often we want to try and modernize the debt amount when we look at this this parable. And in that, we can so easily miss the grace and glory of God because we're too focused on us and the debt amount that we owe. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a big debt amount, and we need to be fully aware of it, and that's the second sub-point. But it's not where we start. We have to start with God. When we're talking about the gospel and salvation, we always have to start with God, and we must see how good he is before we can ever look at our debt of sin. So the second sub-point of point one that I want you to see this morning is the debt itself and the forgiveness of it. We, like this slave, come before a holy and righteous king, holding a debt that is so unimaginably excessive that there's absolutely no way we could ever pay it off. Jesus gives this ridiculous number for the simple purpose of saying, you cannot pay this off. There's no way you're ever going to pay off this debt. It's impossible, period. And our debt is is not something we can work off either. We can't ever do enough good works to work off this debt amount. It's unattainable. And because we can't work it off or pay it off, our lives are completely subject to the king and his justice and wrath. But praise be to the name of God. Praise be to the name of God that when we come before him, with nothing in our hands but filthy rags. And we plead with him for mercy and we beg for his grace. He looks at us and he says, your debt is forgiven. Your debt is forgiven. He could very easily condemn us and he would be just in doing so. But he takes pity on us and he has mercy on us and he extends his extravagant forgiveness to us. The second thing I want you to see this morning is the absurd rejection of extravagant grace. After this servant receives this abundant grace for his debt, Jesus then introduces a scene where this servant goes to a fellow servant and begins to strangle him and then throw him into jail for a debt amount that, while itself is a large sum is still just a very minute portion of his own debt amount. The important thing here is the parallel between the two scenes. In both scenes, the servant approaches the person that holds their debt by falling on their knees and pleading with them. And they say the same thing, have patience with me and I will pay it. And the two responses to the pleas could not be more opposed. The king forgives this enormous, unpayable debt, and then the servant who receives that forgiveness strangles his fellow servant and throws him into prison. 
It's no wonder. It's no wonder that the other servants who saw this happen were outraged and went and informed the king of what had just happened. As we read and understand this passage, we almost get angry with this first servant. We get mad with him. How could he do that? And I think that's the reaction that Jesus was going for. He wants us to understand how absurd it is for us to take his lavish, extravagant grace and forgiveness and then be unwilling to give you a portion of that to someone else. What a slap in his face that is. Third thing I want us to see in this passage this morning is at the end of the parable, Jesus presents us with a very, very sobering reality. That there is a fearful fate waiting for the unforgiving. There's a fearful fate waiting for the unforgiving. In this final scene of the parable, it clues us into another side of this king. We've seen how he can be gracious and full of mercy and forgiveness. But we, we now see how he can unleash a righteously just punishment. There's a quote from D.A. Carson in his commentary on the book of Matthew that I'd like to share with you. In it, he says this. Jesus sees no incongruity in the actions of a heavenly father who forgives so bountiful and punishes so ruthlessly. And neither should we. Indeed, it is precisely because he is a God of such compassion and mercy that he cannot possibly accept as his those devoid of compassion and mercy. Because he is so full of compassion and mercy, he can't accept those that are unwilling to be compassionate and merciful. We cannot be in communion and fellowship with a God that is all forgiving if we ourselves are unwilling to forgive. Fourth thing I want you to see in this passage is this. We have to look at this parable in light of the previous passage, which is verses 15 to 20. And I'm not going to read that here. I'll let you go back in your own time and, and read that. But I am going to give you an understanding of what the teaching is in those verses. When Jesus shares this parable of the unforgiving servant, it's on the heels of him talking about church discipline. And I think we would be remiss if we did not look at this parable without first understanding the passage that precedes it. In this passage leading up to the parable, Jesus walks through this relentlessly gracious procedure of seeking reconciliation between church members where the offending party is given repeated opportunity to be reconciled. And essentially what Jesus is teaching is that before you ever get to the point of excommunicating somebody from your fellowship, you need to give them every single chance and opportunity for forgiveness and reconciliation. And if they still refuse, 
then you may let them go with my blessing. And after Jesus gets done teaching about church discipline, our favorite disciple Peter decides to pipe up. And, and he asks how many times we should forgive someone. And you know, I think Peter, a lot of the time, gets a bad rap for sticking his foot in his mouth. But at least Peter had the courage to ask questions, to learn, to understand what Jesus is trying to teach. I'll tell you this, I would love to have some Peters upstairs sometimes. You can only take so many deadpan, glazed over looks. You know what I'm saying? But Peter is trying to clarify what he's just heard. And I think his heart is in the right place because I think he's genuinely trying to be gracious, more gracious than what the cultural and even spiritual custom was at that time of forgiving somebody three times. And Jesus, through this parable, ends up teaching Peter, Peter, look, if you're counting, you're not forgiving. So the parable of the unforgiving servant needs to be seen in light of the verses before it. And what we see in this parable is that absolutely, absolutely, we should freely with an open hand give forgiveness to anybody that seeks it. And this was kind of a hard concept for me to understand a couple years ago because I used to, to dole out forgiveness like grandpa at family gatherings giving out hard candy to all the kids, right? Thinking in doing so that I'm, I'm reconciled to everybody. We're all good. And it took me a long time to understand that we can really only be reconciled to those who seek it. Now we can extend forgiveness to people that don't seek it like Jesus did. But if in this parable, what Jesus is after is teaching us to just automatically forgive in every single situation, then it, it renders verses 15 to 20 meaningless. They no longer have any value. Why would Jesus give us this elaborate process of extending forgiveness and then telling us that if those people continue to refuse it, that we may let them go from our fellowship with his blessing? If what he's after in this parable is just automatic forgiveness, it doesn't, it doesn't work together. So while verses 15 to 20 really focus on people refusing our forgiveness, the parable of the unforgiving servant is really more concerned with us withholding forgiveness to those who seek reconciliation. But to clearly see this, this whole picture of Jesus' teaching here on Forgiveness. We have to understand that there will be people who will completely reject our forgiveness and our attempts at reconciliation. And those people will be let go from our fellowship with Christ's blessing. But we should never, ever, ever withhold forgiveness to anybody that seeks it. Even if they come to us 490 times for the same offense. You know, 70 times 7, right? So, like many of Jesus' parables, there's really only one major lesson, one takeaway from the story. And for us, I think that 
Through Christ, we have received extravagant grace. And as Christ followers, we are to extend extravagant forgiveness. If we are unwilling to forgive, we are not obedient to Christ. If we hold to unforgiveness rather than obedience to Christ through faith, we must ask ourselves if we are truly in Christ. How cruel. How cruel for this servant who was forgiven this gigantic fortune to go to a fellow servant and strangle him and throw him into prison for a debt that was microscopic to his own. That's absurd. But for Christians, to not forgive is the exact same thing. Jesus isn't saying that forgiveness is easy. He's not even saying that forgiveness is natural. But forgiveness is Christ-like. It's something that Christians do. There's one more quote that I'd like to share with you this morning. It comes from John Piper. I listened to the Ask Pastor John podcast, and if you don't subscribe to that, you really should. It is good stuff. But there was a podcast entitled, If I Fail to Forgive Others, Will God Forgive Me? And John Piper responds to that question with this. If the forgiveness that we received at the cost of the blood of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is so ineffective in our hearts that we are bent on holding unforgiving grudges and bitterness against someone else, we are not good trees. We are not saved. We don't cherish this forgiveness. We are hypocrites. We are just mouthing. We haven't ever felt the piercing, joyful wonder that God paid the life of his son. When we take into consideration the true weight and offense of our sin before a holy and righteous God that he had to pay the price of his son to cover that offense, why would we ever, why would we ever hold on to bitterness and resentment and anger and unforgiveness? The issue that we run into with forgiveness is that only Jesus can give us this kind of forgiveness. But how blessed are we? How blessed are we that we, he reminds us of his forgiveness and he reminds us that we are the least deserving of this forgiveness. And because he reminds us of his forgiveness, we have the ability to extend that same forgiveness to people that we might think are the least deserving. It's that forgiveness, forgiveness like that, that should mark the church of Christ. If you're still with me this morning, as I wrap up, there's one final thing that I want to make clear. And that is if you are holding on to any resentment, any bitterness, any anger, any unforgiveness towards someone you need to ask yourself if you really understand this lavish, extravagant forgiveness that Christ has so freely extended to you.
And if you're holding on to those feelings, my prayer today is that you would seek reconciliation with that person. May you be compelled by the forgiveness that you have accepted to graciously extend forgiveness in an equally extravagant fashion. And if you're sitting here this morning and the Lord has done a work in your heart and revealed his grace and his mercy to you in, in a way that maybe you haven't ever seen it before, I'm going to pray here in a minute and then we're going to have a time to respond. And I pray that you will respond, whether that's in your seat or up here at the front where you can come talk to one of the pastors. We would love to talk to you about God's forgiveness in your life. However you need to respond, I pray that you would respond because the worst response is no response. I pray that this morning we are all compelled by the truth of scripture to extend forgiveness in the same way that we've received it. Let's pray. God, you are, you are so good. And you are so gracious and you are so merciful and you are so forgiving. God, your forgiveness is extravagant. It is lavish and we don't deserve it. Not one bit. But we are so grateful that you extend it to us freely. God, may we, may we understand your forgiveness this morning in a way that we've never understood it before. I pray that we are all compelled to respond to the truth of your word this morning. Thank you for this time, Father. I pray that you are honored in it. In your name I pray, amen.